Welcome to the Idea Pod, a podcast dedicated to exploring and interrogating professional biomedical and applied ethics here at the University of Leeds. For any new listeners, I am Gabby, a postgraduate researcher at the Idea Center and your host today. In this episode, I have the pleasure to have Rebecca George, lecturer at the Chicago College of Performing Arts at Roosevelt University. Her experience has taken her to teach master classes at different universities around the world, including the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London. Rebecca, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, first of all, I would like to ask you um, more of a personal question just to warm up our audience and and so they can understand a little bit about your background and your insights. Mm-hmm. What do the performing arts mean to you? To me, I think the performing arts are essential to humanity across all cultures. I know that is a, a very broad proclamation, <laughs> but I believe that is true. Song, dance, music, and theatrical storytelling each have a vital part to play in connecting us as people. They reveal the world and essential truths, and they also put forward ideas that we are not yet ready to commit to in society, but should aspire to achieve. And they are also living documents of what we thought and what we noticed about ourselves and the world around us across history. Plus, they are just really fun and entertaining. I think also that the performing arts are at their most basic communities of hope. We don't always live up to that on the professional end. In fact, we often fail quite miserably, but that is our core value, choosing to live in hope rather than cynicism and despair and reflecting that hope back to other people. I I am completely obsessed with what you said about communities of hope. I think that reflects the core value of performing arts. And I consider that that's not only beautiful, but it also tells us so much about their role in our personal development. Mm -hmm. Um, And this connects with the first question I would like to ask you, which is related Mm -hmm. to um, the possibilities of aesthetic Mm sense-making. So in a paper from 2014, Called, it's a very long title, Aesthetics <laughs> is an Emotional Activity that Facilitates Sense-Making Towards an Inactive Approach to Aesthetic Experience by Senakis and Arnelos. They argue that aesthetic experience, especially its emotional dimension, is an evaluative process that influences the anticipation for stable and successful interactions with the environment. Mm-hmm. So having this in mind, Um, Do you think songs, music, and the performing arts in general can help us make sense of ourselves and the world? I'm going to just say in other words, is there a phenomenological pathway for knowledge or sense-making through them? Uh, uh, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I think song and music are innate in us and people. In fact, I know that. They're both essential to human expression and sharing community and sharing our traditions and the preservation of culture as well as the advancement of society. Um, And music is elemental to our lives. 
More than that, it's likely that humans sang and were musical before we developed our ability to speak and use language. And we can see evidence of this in both infant development and language acquisition. There's quite a quite many studies about this. Some people even consider language to be a special kind of music. So musical expression through vocal melody and simple percussion, like clapping your hands or tapping your feet, is innate within each one of us. And I say that because it's estimated that only about 5% of people are actually tone deaf, meaning that they can't identify pitches as higher or lower from each other and subsequently are likely not to enjoy music. However, they still can enjoy the percussive elements of music. So when we consider that 95% or so of human beings can learn to sing in tune and keep a steady beat, I think it's fair to say that music is an essential part of humanity. Yeah, and uh, to my understanding, um, at the beginning of your career as a performer, you started teaching early childhood music. So how did you see these innate expressions that you're talking about and the relation to aesthetic sense-making through your experience with children? It was through my, the experiences I had teaching parent-child classes and then also preschool and kindergarten classroom or classes in schools that I both developed my philosophy of teaching and then also came to understand how necessary music is for human development. So when children are upset, we all know this, right? When children are upset and scared or sad, we can sing them a soothing lullaby or other type of calm and gentle song, and it immediately makes them relax, or most of the time makes them relax. <laughs> <laughs> and when young children experience conflict, perhaps from fighting over a toy that they both want to play with, or because they both wanted to sit on their teacher's lap, They don't yet have the language to identify their emotions and express their frustration in a constructive way to reconcile their differences. It sounds really trite, but singing in these instances brings quick harmony and little children are able to both release their pent up feelings and make peace with their friends. And there's a lot of joy in singing the same song. I believe singing together fosters trust. I could go on and on about why I think musical musical expression is necessary to human development, but I think it is clear this is an area I'm very passionate about. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and and I think it's that example about how singing or music in general sort of makes us cope with certain difficult situations. I think in war times we can also see this when people sort of get together and uh, you know share uh, singing, you know, a song to find comfort or to fight or to find some sort of inner strength uh, within that performance. So there seems to be much more to singing than, you know, the common perception of it, which is, you know, harmony, rhythm, techniques, uh, as you're uh, accurately portraying. Singing yes. takes us um, into this introspective journey to our limitations our yes. self-control, you mentioned that, uh, and the expression of our deeper emotions, providing mm -hmm. what it seems like a nurturing experience of sharing with others and with ourselves. And I think that's extremely interesting. Yes. Um, you know, when I, uh, what I've discovered as a professional singer and a voice teacher, especially of other professional singers, is that when we speak about the voice, we really mean two things. The musical instrument to be used in performance with consistency and technical skill 
and the knowledge of the self and what one wants to express. And teachers use this phrase all of the time. Singers use it all of the time. The phrase use your voice has multiple meanings. A singer can only make so much technical and instrumental progress if she doesn't have an understanding of herself, her feelings, her point of view, her ideas about a particular text or composition. Singing, especially at the professional level, requires intense self-awareness and psychological discipline. If you're feeling bad or upset or are emotionally riled about something, you may be frustrated, you may be grieving, or you might have even just fallen in love, something good. You must be able to recognize these feelings and then put them to the side so you can concentrate and allow for them to channel through you, but also not derail you. Singing is a high-level body coordination that requires an astounding engagement of over 150 different muscles simultaneously and is generated and controlled by our breath. So singers have to use an acute kind of focus and extreme attentiveness to perform well. Singing requires us to concentrate intensely on one aim while staying open to our environment. We have to pay attention to the pianist, the other singers, the orchestra or the band, a conductor, and then also the audience, and include all of those elements and those people into our performance. I think this is a model for what we try to do when being moral in society. We want to have a developed sense of self, work toward an aim, and include and respond to the existence of others with generosity and understanding. It's a big goal, but in music, we practice it. Yeah, and, and, I, and I see, I mean, we can see it in, in the performance of these artists. When you are right there with them, you can, you can feel it. It's mm-hmm. not something that is, it can be phrased into, you know, this very technical words. It's something that we share. It's something that you know, we can feel that sense of self of this performer uh, within our physical uh, interactions with it. You know, when you get um, goosebumps, when, you know, you hear a high note or (laughs) a beautiful bass or, uh, you know, all of these things. But um, Mm -hmm. so it seems like this level of development of the sense of self as a performer, uh, it makes me wonder about how the arts can take us to express things in very particular and potentially unique ways. Mm-hmm. So in your opinion, does art express truths that are otherwise unknowable? And if so, are they expressible outside of the same scope of artistic expression? That's that's the big, that's the million dollar question right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Frederick Douglass, the great 19th century American writer, public intellectual, and social reformer, uh, said in his wonderful essay, Pictures and Progress, I'm going to do a dramatic reading now. The eye and spirit, pictures are just what poetry and music are to the ear and heart. Man is the only picture-making animal in the world. He alone, of all the inhabitants of Earth, has the capacity and passion for pictures. Reason is exalted and called godlike, and sometimes accorded the highest place among human faculties. But grand and wonderful as is this attribute of our species, 
Still more grand and wonderful are the resources and achievements of that power of which come our pictures and other creations of art. Art is a special revelation of the higher powers of the human soul. I think that is just a beautiful and noble statement and also very true one. It's certainly beautifully expressed in uh, Pictures in Progress, which I highly recommend reading if you're unfamiliar with it. And very um, powerful as well. Yes, yes. And in it, uh, Doug Douglas is expressing that through artistic and musical creation, we are able to access the deepest and most considered part of ourselves and transform our subjective ideas and unprocessed observations into works with objective value. And that is a magnificent description of the artistic and creative process and its subsequent value in society. These creations reflect the world with a kind of truth that resonates with the experiences of others across time and space, transcending different cultures and experiences. I do think this type of artistic creation, this musical communion, is a special way of knowing or trying to interpret the universe, or as you said several minutes ago before I went on the aggression, know the unknowable. Yeah. Particularly love this quote because in it, Douglas describes why music from hundreds of years ago moves, excites, comforts, and consoles people today while also retaining a shock of the new. Great musical works can be listened to or performed repeatedly over the course of a lifetime, yet, they prevent fresh revelations upon every interaction with the composition because they reveal our deeply personal and subjective experience as it collides with the objective or the divine. Listening to and performing music allows us to delve deep into ourselves while sharing in a communal experience that extends in such a way that we are connected to all of humanity across a seemingly unending arc. Now that's such a big statement Bold but statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I am a bold American. So <laughs> let me give you an example of what I mean by that from mm -hmm. personal experience. When I listen to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, even on my stereo alone at home, I'm not only going on a musical journey toward a destination of human affirmation and hope for the world through the eyes of Beethoven. I'm also living in the space for the first time I heard it played at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra with my father as a young girl. Reminiscence, yeah. Yeah, I'm remembering the feeling of the hot sun on my face as I listened with thousands of people on a lawn at a summer festival in downtown Chicago. And people jumped to their feet and cheered like they were at a rock concert at the conclusion of the final moment. It, it was pretty fantastic. <laughs> I'm present in what it felt like as a young person to hear Leonard Bernstein conduct the symphony on Christmas day in Germany to mark the fall of the Berlin wall, listening with millions of people all around the world. I'm also there with the people who sat in the audience for the first time the symphony was performed. And the time hundreds of years from now when hopefully people will hear it again. Music gives us a sense of the eternal and it builds our connections to each other across time. I think that when that sense is awakened, we have an opportunity to harness this awareness of greater belonging and we can transform it 
and transform our empathy and compassion. We can fix our imagination on any goal and then try to realize it. I think it, I think it's, you know, moving and quite, you know, beautiful what you're saying, because it answering my question about, you know, knowing the unknowable, uh, I think it also refers to this um, never ending arc that you're mentioning this, we go into a shared place to this, Mm -hmm you know, world that is not about rationalization, that is not about, you know, very distinctive mathematical truths. It's Mm -hmm. about an experience. It's about a shared connection with other human beings in the most basic and beautiful way, which has to do with aesthetic contemplation. And Mm -hmm. in a way, I think it's, it's that awareness of greater belonging Yes. and transforming our empathy and compassion. I think it's so interesting that you mentioned disability uh, because you previously said something about how uh, the performing arts connect to morality, which yes. takes me to my next question, which <laughs> is, uh, so the arts provide us with this internal knowledge that becomes communal, very much, mm-hmm. I think, like ethics. Ethics somehow, although sometimes we can um, consider it a bit more rational, we still hope, we still aim for that communal place and we Mm -hmm. still see some sort of, you know, connection in our intuitions. And so did you see part of this sense making provided by the arts being related to our morality or our our moral experience? Absolutely. I have experienced that people who regularly listen to and perform music in some way are practiced in some type of openness and some type of humility. And that practice is important, right? Learning a musical instrument, even mastering the singing voice. You know, some people think uh, it's not, it's, it's an easy thing to do. I, I promise you it's a lifelong endeavor. <laughs> Takes a, it takes a tremendous amount of discipline, patience, and the surrendering of ego. Um, that seems contradictory because uh, in order to stand on a stage and think that thousands of people should be quiet and listen to your voice, that implies that you have a large ego, which I think is to agree true, to a degree true, but also we have to practice surrendering it in service of the difficulty of music and instrumental development. Professional performing requires all of that, all of these things, right? Plus high endurance levels and the ability to manage nerves and tolerate extreme drudgery, right? Part of it is just boring repetition. And it, But if we don't play an instrument, we can still practice these things because some compositions, and I'm including all types and genres of music here, right? There is not one type that is inherently better than another. All of these types of music demand a lot from us to pay attention to in some some forms. Plus attentive and long form listening can assist our cognitive development. So music has the potential to develop and strengthen our rational selves. But really, it's the egalitarian aspect of music that stands out to me as having a special potential to shape our moral beliefs. Music is a great equalizer in that there are so many forms and genres and styles of music across all human history. 
and that there is something for everyone to be able to enjoy. And as I've already mentioned, it's both innate in us and available to us simply by singing or tapping your toes. You don't need to take, you know, formal instruction to be musical. You don't need to have a piano in your home. You don't need, you know, to attend a concert. You can simply start singing yourself. Um, I think that music is another way of knowing the universe and subsequently ourselves. And it's a way of knowing those around us and the space between us. It it promotes, pardon me, it promotes creative thinking, discovery and innovation. And if we cannot physically travel, we can travel into our imaginations and learn something about other cultures and experience simply by listening to music from places in the world unknown to us. It is this particular ability to imagine the other that has tremendous potential to shape our moral beliefs. So let me give you a very specific example. I live in the US um, and you know, there is quite a lot going on here right now. Yeah. Yeah. In February, a woman named Janiqua Charles was being detained by a security guard and she pushed back on his reasons for apprehending her. All of a sudden, she burst into a sing-songy chant, you will lose your job, over and over, singing and dancing in gleeful resistance. Like many encounters with law enforcement in the U.S. today, a person recorded that moment. What's really interesting is the person who recorded it was another guard. He was so tickled by her song that he posted the video online with the statement, I'm posting it because that rap was lit. Like I would <laughs> beat to it. <laughs> so the video went viral and DJs across all the country turned her little song and dance uh, into dance mixes that people now dance and sing along to in protests against racism and pr- police brutality all across the country. And then it turned out that Miss Charles had struggled with homelessness and the success she experienced from this song allowed her to raise funds to be reunited with her family and establish some sense of security. It's a remarkable story. But what is most remarkable about it to me is this. The moment that Janiqua Charles used her voice, both as a musical instrument and as an expression of her defiance and her dignity, Her adversary, a security guard who could have easily done her great physical harm, recognized her humanity and he celebrated her. So I think that not only is music or song related to our ability to develop morally, it is also one of our most powerful tools to connect to our moral values. Um, Well, um, first of all, that's, uh, I think, a great example to portray what we're trying to show here and I think uh, the core argument that you're giving and I think everyone can relate to this as well has to do with how we are expressing when you say the expression of her defiance and dignity is in a way we are we're talking about ethics we are Mm -hmm. talking about you know I I have value my, my life is valuable respects me for it but in a way that instead of you know, resorting to any rationalization of a principle of dignity, we connect through this common world, this community of hope, as you called it, and I'm obsessed with that (laughs) um, now. And 
I think it reflects what many philosophers have thought about this. You know, aesthetic experience serves as a propedeutic for morality. Mm-hmm. We see that in famous philosophers like Kant, claiming that the beautiful prepares us to love something. Even nature without interest, the sublime, uh, to esteem it, even contrary to our sensible interests. And, uh, for example, what Wittgenstein's uh, claim is about ethics and aesthetics being one. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, you've done a really uh, wonderful job of showing the commonality between ethics and aesthetics um, and how they are able to provide certain meaning to life, mm. to show us what makes life worth living, what constitutes um, a good life and how we value different things. It, it mm-hmm. gives us instead of, you know, uh, instead of giving us principles and uh, rational ideas of why we should do these things, it shows us how they matter through experience. Mm-hmm. So you have the performer, which we could say it's an agent performing an action. We could say the audience uh, are those affected by that action. And we have an impartial observer, sometimes a critic or a judge. And so we have elements uh, that are very similar between these two uh, things, which is ethics and aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And um, as you presented in that last example, Rebecca, music and song become a powerful instrument. And I think this is very important to connect mm-hmm. with our moral values, to animate them. Yes. And especially now, like while we're living in this moment in times of uncertainty, not only because of the virus, but, uh, you know, political and social struggles that we're living around the world, uh, we're living profound changes. And art, I think, give us, as you stated at the beginning, that core element, which is hope and trust, which I think are fundamental for the flourishing of ethics. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. I like to think of art from the past as a signal across Mm. generations telling us that we can continue and we can participate and we must keep going. And uh, that it's an inspiring signal to continue to discover our best selves and the best of what's possible in society. Yeah, discovering our best selves and sharing it with others. Yes. Precisely. I want to thank you, Rebecca. This has been wonderful. Thank you for being here with us today. Um, It was great to see some insights from your vast personal and professional experience. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening and joining us today. Until next time. The IdeaPod is produced by the Interdisciplinary Ethics Applied Center at the University of Leeds. Find out more at www.leeds.ac.uk ethics. Music composed and conducted by Josh Armitage.